Luke, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you getting on, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Really appreciate you getting up at this early hour on a Sunday. I suppose you're an early <laughs> riser, though, are you? I am needing my least now at this stage, and I appreciate you having me on as well to uh, chat a bit. So, yeah, thank you. I think it's the perfect time to have someone nutrition-based on now, just pre-Christmas, get everyone in the right mindset heading into the season. But, I mean, I suppose for those who wouldn't know you, I feel like you've probably done plenty of podcasts before this, <laughs> but maybe for some of my listeners who wouldn't have encountered you before, would you maybe yeah. just give us a quick run-through about yourself, what you do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Luke Omani. Um, most people call me Lam, um, a nice short abbreviation. Um, but I am the owner of Integrative Health, which is a consultancy and coaching business. Um, so it's nutrition and training, coaching, consultancy. Um, been involved in the fitness industry since I was about 18, 19. So like about six, seven years now. Um, and I work full time on running the business with coaching consultancy of clients all different backgrounds, all different um, sports and disciplines, all different goals, all different abilities, everything from around the world. Um, I got into the industry yeah, um, mainly through personal trading. Started as a personal trader on the gym floor and then just transitioned and scaled all my business online and then started integrative um, just under two years ago. So it's two years in business now. And I mainly, um, I was kind of heavily focused on putting informative content out there on Instagram. I don't get to do that much more anymore um, but I started with that type of stuff as well and yeah I've done a few good good few podcasts and public speaking events along the way and stuff like that so yeah it's, it's all going well so far touch wood. Awesome man and I mean in, in terms of your business then so are you exclusively nutrition coaching like it wouldn't be the case that you'd be giving people exercise plans along the line too it's literally like you're structuring people's diets their calories their macros everything along those lines. No, it's both. It's both. So oh, okay. it's a, it's a nutrition and training programming. So like I, I do options for nutrition only coaching, but like a large amount of my clientele will be on both because when you tie them in unison together, like usually if by controlling all factors and by getting it all tied in together, you not only does it get more clarity and less ambiguity, but it usually get, they get more value out of the approach then. Like, so it's both. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of running an online business then, I, I mean, I've had a few online coaches on in the past, but like, what do you find are the benefits of working with your clients? Like, are you able to give them more time than you would say in a one-to-one -one setting in terms of say in yeah. person or like, what are the benefits you found from having that structure to your business? Yeah. I mean, like there's, there's the biggest thing that's come to mind is scalability of it because with an online platform, you can scale a business much more compared to a one-to-one. -one. For example, if you have a one-to-one -one client and that one person is 45 minutes slot, you could do two, three, four check-ins in that time. So scalability wise, in terms of, reaching a wider audience and being able to scale your business you know in terms of being able to tolerate more volume without compromising quality of service being able to generate more income it is beneficial but then there's also like there, there, there's pros and cons to it but in terms of the online side of it yeah it's mainly just the scalability of it that you can get more volume in because like you'd be at max capacity most per personal trainers would be at max capacity of working a very, very hectic week of like 50 clients, you know, because like if you again, if you have a 40, 30, 45 minute client slot, like throughout the day, then you're max at max capacity 40, 50, whereas online you could, you can scale that much more. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of like the way you work, obviously I'd imagine like most people who own their own businesses, you're putting in a lot of hours every week. It's very, very busy. And you're obviously mm. surrounding yourself with clients who are goal orientated. They've maybe varying fitness goals but i mean a lot going on in terms of motivation and pushing themselves to be better how does how does that tie into your own life in terms of do you feel like you constantly have that spark to i suppose keep working towards your own goals or like how do your own goals sit in terms of that 
say perspective, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I have this just like I'm not really one for like sayings or motivation quotes or anything like that, but I just always think that's like etched into my mind. I can't remember I got it from, but it's like, um, yeah, I don't know where I got it from, got it from, but it's like fifty nine forty one, and it basically means like always oh, put more in or give more than is expected or you expect back. So like I my clients like they hold me accountable as well. So like you know like I'm only human. There is times where I get up and I'm like, oh, I don't wanna go on and do some study in the morning. I don't want to, you know, work on us in the morning at half five in the morning. But like then, you know, that's well, I'm grateful enough to get that opportunity. But like they do hold me accountable as well, you know. In terms of yeah. like my own fitness goals, like my own personal fitness goals, like that for me, like when I first got into the industry, that was my everything. You know, like everyone, usually when you get into the industry as a personal trainer, like you want to do like, I don't know, a photo shoot or a show or like I still look after myself and I still obviously try to keep in good health and be coach from a place that I authentically am let's say because that is like you can't I suppose you can't be as I call it recently like a, a hypocrite a hypocrite but also an authority like you can't be sitting behind the laptop and eat McDonald's but telling people how to look after nutrition you know yeah. um so yeah no like with my own goals like mainly business oriented my, like my clients do hold me like highly accountable there um as well as a good like support network and stuff like but you know making sure they just constantly try improve it in every way it can in some way either day by day or month by month whatever it is yeah but that but i feel like that's probably what would happen it, it's one of the things i'm always curious about because i'm like if you're literally coaching people day to day constantly on like you know how to eat right how to get set their goals how to achieve those goals and then like i can only imagine sitting behind the laptop and maybe do nothing towards yourself whether it's from an educational or a fitness perspective you probably feel like a bit of imposter syndrome so i feel like it probably is something that naturally leads yeah, you mean, to maybe be successful yourself exactly i mean like when you when you coach a large demographic that's widely diverse like i mean it's it gives you such a good insight on just perception i mean like you can get some people that are like they're they're achieving some tremendous goals to very high adversity like you know people like i coach people who have like full-time jobs two or three jobs trying to run a family at home and um, you know paying bills stuff like this and like they're still not coming up with excuses and stuff so like it's hard not to be motivated when you have even someone who's of ill health and they're still doing everything they can to get where they want to be because you're sitting here and you're like jesus that's extremely motivating or when you get some very good feedback and a check-in to see how well someone is doing it's extremely rewarding and that in turn has positive knock-on effect into my own you know actions and motivation then from that so it's not only me trying to be the motivator or like be the authority but it's me getting that back as well it's kind of in unison again like yeah, and I suppose one thing with the online, which I, I mean, I've worked with an online coach myself, so it's not that I wouldn't be in the know, but I mean, one thing I'd kind of worry about for some people is that it's very easy to appear as though, you know, you're moving in the right direction when sometimes you're not. And I suppose from your perspective, how do you find it with picking up how someone is actually doing as opposed to just what they're putting into a check-in form? You know, is it the case that yeah. you're able to build those relationships with people, you know, yeah. to be able to show, look, I think they're struggling, but they're just not telling me. Yeah, that's a great question because at the end of the day, one of the biggest things about online coaching compared to personal training is that there's less of kind of an emotive aspect because when you're when you summon in face to face, you can tell like how they feel and you can tell their body language and you can tell um you know how they're feeling at the end of their mood and you get that time slot with them every week. Whereas in a check-in form or like on a Zoom call or whatever, like it might just be uh, black and white and it might just be a voice not a WhatsApp and it's, it can be much harder, I suppose, to tell how someone is feeling. They, it's, it's very easy to lie, I suppose, in a check-in sheet, you know, but the one thing, what I do try to do with all of my clients, no matter how long they're with me, be it a week or a year or two years or no matter if I've 10 or 100, I always try to get to know, to know them on a personal level as well, you know, like not just 
see them as a number, but like get to know their lifestyle a bit without crossing boundaries of online coaching, of course, but get to know, um, you know, just have a bit of, like I put up a post recently, like one of the most like advisable things I could say would just be to not be shit crack is what I said, like, you know, like have a bit of crack with my clients. Like, you know, I try to joke around with them a bit, have a bit of crack and check-ins and make it relatable so that maybe they can open up when they don't feel that things are going well and stuff. And it it creates a better coach-client relationship from that then, you know. 100%. 100%. And I mean, talk to me about your clients then. Like, what sort of people are you coaching? I'd imagine it's not all the same thing, but like the variation of goals your your clients might have. Talk me through a few of those. Yeah, so like at the moment, like I've, I've worked with a large, I've been very lucky to work with a large demographic people, like from everything from like elite fighters internationally to bodybuilding prep and bikini shows and photo shoots to then people who um, are just to improve their health, uh, different health conditions, or so, um, PCOS, gallbladder removed, diabetes, everything in between. Um, at the moment, like it's it's largely though, the most of my business will be through general, just general population. You know, yeah. people like yourself and I who just want to, you know, look good, feel good, be healthy, and live a very kind of sustainable lifestyle through habit change that isn't restrictive that's pragmatic and that's they can go out and have a few points and get smashed if they want to every now and then and then still make progress without having a massively restrictive approach and then i also on the other spectrum of that like have clients who are very rigid and they want to get very lean and they do want to do a photo shoot so it's literally everything in between like at the moment i think um a lot of my most like 70 80 percent of my clients will be in ireland um i've got a few in the uk some of the netherlands canada um a few in the us um Asia, Australia. So yeah, it's scattered all around the world at the moment, which is again really cool and very grateful to be able to do that as well. Yeah. And I mean, so let's just I suppose my area really kind of of interest most of the time would be weight loss, fat loss, kind of that sort of your your average person really. But I mean, one of the worries I always have with these things, especially with like say someone like myself, you know, you've had years and years of bad eating, you've had years and years of fad diets, crash diets, everything like that. How do you take someone like that who's in that mentality of, oh, you know, I can't eat after 6 p.m. or carbs are bad for me. How do you help them build the knowledge to be able to approach something? Like, I suppose it's taken me a long time to get into the swing of being comfortable with these things. Like last night, I went out for a nice meal. I got a big steak. I got my chips. I had a nice dessert. I know I'm not going to gain all the weight back today. I know it's just the case of back to business. But that took me a long time to get there. So when you Mm -hmm. only have someone for an initial maybe 8 weeks, 12 weeks, what are the steps you put in place to maybe help them build that healthier relationship? Yeah, well, there's a few things that, like when you said, talk about that, there, that's a great point. I mean, that's something that I encounter so frequently is this like extremism mindset of like black and white or on and off, you know. Um, it can be either through um, preconditioned beliefs or values or it can be from negative experiences, be it like with fad diets and stuff. But like when, well, like when you said there about having someone on for like eight or 12 weeks, I mean, as a coach, it's also quite important for me to be um, very honest. And like, if someone comes to me and I see, like in my consultation form, which is quite extensive, and if I see there's a pattern of negative food labeling, uh, maybe a poor relationship with food, past experiences that are negative, I have to disclose to them that, look, it's not, this won't be done in eight weeks. You know, like this, yeah. this like, uh, no, that's not going to take eight weeks. You're talking three, four, five months. I mean, I've had some people, they do achieve it in eight, 10, 12 weeks. I've had some people, it takes them a year. It's very subjective. But with, that type like again it is subjective so you, i suppose you have to get to know what's what, where did that stem from so the root cause of why do they have these maybe negative behaviors why do they have these negative outlooks is it from a past experience and then begin to not only educate them but begin to challenge their thought process you know 
get uh, expose them to situations that maybe challenge their thought process on the negative side of it. So it could be this is where like coaching would be very elongated, not just a check-in, but like can be dragged out a bit and like, okay, um, for example, I have a client and she would have had um she would have had um quite negative experiences with dieting before and uh poor relationship with food and we just recently exposed her to just getting a takeaway, you know, just one takeaway. Um, and this was huge for her, you know. Um, yeah. But some, something so small like that, it, it's literally just exposing them to the situation with graded exposure as well, because you can't just take someone and just plot them into the deep end because it will like, it, they just get very anxious. They will get overwhelmed by it. But it's also about challenging their thought process. So like maybe sitting them down and checking and being like, okay, why do you think this is negative? Like, where is that coming from? Okay, and if you did that, what do you think would happen? And then explain maybe to give the education on that. So like, for example, if I eat carbs after six, I get fat. Okay, why does that happen? Well, because after six, carbs automatically store fat. Okay, do you know the mechanism of that? No, I don't. Okay, so let's go back and let's educate on maybe that's not the case. Don't let it come down to the total daily calorie intake. And it's just about challenging their, their thought process into it and making them see it from a different perspective. Not only spoon feeding the information, but literally getting them to think about it critically as well. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of then say daily habits, you, you try push, like, I don't know, you, you have someone at a very baseline level of fitness, you know, maybe they're not used to the gym. Maybe they haven't been on a structured nutrition plan in the past. I mean, if you were looking at that person and obviously you can recommend the foods they could eat, you could recommend, you know, the types of calories they're going to have, that's going to get them to say a weight loss goal. But in mm. terms of daily habits, it's something I'm really interested in. What sort of stuff could someone implement on a very simple level? just to shift themselves into that mindset of, oh, I'm getting fitter and it'll kind yeah. of progress them along the way anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with the, I, in, no matter what claim starts at me, no matter what their background, their, their ability, their, their level of experience, I always say in the first one to three check-ins, it's not, there will not, most likely won't be calorie changes. And it's primarily, I have like a, I suppose a hierarchy of importance of like what I look to be nailed down first and everyone can put that into practice. And that is yeah. sleep and stress management because most people are underslept and overstressed as well as overcaffeinated and undernourished. So when you pair them all together, you create like a shitstorm of overall stress load. So it's mainly looking to nail down sleep, stress management. So that means then I look into all like their total, what's known as their allostatic load, so their total stress load. So you're looking for psychological stressors, you're looking for environmental stressors, you're looking for physiological stressors. Maybe they consume too much caffeine. Maybe they don't have a lot of fruit and veg intake. Maybe they undereat. maybe they overeat. Um, maybe their workload is very high. Um, maybe they stress over something very simple, their ability to manage that stress. So for me, it's literally starting with the foundational factors which then leads to earning the right to focus on weight loss per se, or as I like to call it, earn the right to focus on fat loss. And you have to earn the right by making sure the foundation stuff are in line. And that would be sleep, stress, digestion, and overall just a structure that's practical and enjoyable. Those things come first. It's not that sexy. It's not that fancy, but it's literally what 90% of people need. And they dismiss for chasing that kind of shiny object syndrome of this supplement or this diet or this rapid approach type thing, you know? Yeah. Now, what's really interesting there is it's not something I'd say a lot of people consider sleep being such an important factor. So, I mean, how yeah. does that come into play in terms of like just just the general scale of things? Like it, like I suppose, what's the best way to put it? You know, a lot of people see a lack of sleep or getting up early as maybe a badge of honor, and you know, something like oh, I can run on a on a higher level than someone else. But like, how yeah. much of a knock on effect can that have on someone's you know diet or like I suppose on their fitness, on their stress levels, everything along those lines? Yeah, it's it's huge. Like, um, 
there's like there's this good quote by like Matthew Walker. He's like he wrote that book. Um, have you heard of it? The yeah, I've book? listened to it. It's very good. Yeah, it's like a lack. Uh, uh, as a society, our lack of sleep is a form of slow self euthanasia, which is a powerful quote. Like you know, because it goes to show the power of sleep. But like it'd probably be easier to tell you what wouldn't be benefited like from lack of sleep. You know. Um, yeah. So like like most people. Um, are underslept like well like the statistics show that according to research but like there's this cool thing also um which is what's known as baseline resetting and i always see this in client so baseline resetting is basically like where you get a client come to you or they, they sign up and they're like you get this all the time like oh, oh yeah i'm an average sleeper i sleep you know six to eight hours fairly good sleep i my energy is good all day and then they come they come to about three four weeks into the process you begin to look at the influencing variables into sleep structure sleep hygiene you know what environment are they sleeping in when is the last time they changed their pillow? What's their bed clothing like? What do they do before bed? What time do they train? What do they eat? What time do they get up? How um, stressful is their alarm sound? All these small things that can come into sleep. And then they come to you in the, the one week and they might be like, Jesus, I did not know I could feel this good. Where did this come from? My energy is through the roof. I'm sleeping deeper than I ever have. And that's what's known as baseline resetting, which is kind of coined the term of like people functioning or sleeping suboptimally without knowing that it's suboptimal, you know, they feel like that they're sleeping and forming and functioning at their highest capacity. And then they did just because they're preconceived conditions that they didn't know that was possible, let's say. And as a result of that, then every physiological, psychological, um, neurological, hormonal influence is positively impacted. So usually you'll see people like digestion begin to improve. Um, like when someone comes in a check-in, like in a lot of the time, if they're like very stressed or, if they're if like you know even if their weight went up or if their digestion is slow a lot of the time if you see sleep is off you can correlate that you know because it's just so powerful into many different physiological processes and again it's just so undermined now again there like there has to be an aspect of practicality like there will be those demographics that will need to be sleep deficient you know and yeah. like on a transient on a transient time basis that's okay like you can take a bit of heat a bit of hit to your sleep but it's when it's like prolonged and it's when it's very very low quantity and quality well that's when you begin to run into issues then because people can be spending all the money on supplements and food and training and trying to train hard but if they're really like not paying attention to these areas like they're you know, they're not really addressing the main core foundation factors again like absolutely i think one of the key factors from that book that really shocked me was the fact that he said you know you can't earn the sleep back like if you have an hour of two yeah. hours or like say a night of two hours sleep and then yeah. the next day you get 12, you're not earning back that energy or you're not undoing that damage. No, exactly. and like It's kind of something I think all of us think, oh, I'll catch up on that sleep tomorrow. I'll catch up on that exactly. sleep and maybe I'm a bit less busy. And then suddenly, you know, the damaging effects could be long term over the course of six months and you wouldn't have even realized, you know. And, it, and there's uh, a cool thing with that as well. The sleep thing about like catching up that like you all like it's a common thing. It's just, I think it's like an Irish thing, especially that lions on the weekend, you know, yeah. um, like where you, where you sleep into like. You could have someone who gets up at like 6 or 7 a.m. On, on a weekday, like Monday to Friday, and they sleep until 11 or 12. And nine times out of 10, they will feel like shit when they get up later. And the reason why is because um, of what's known as sleep inertia or social jet lag is because they completely throw off their sleep cycles and their circadian rhythm has to get kind of realigned that day. So they almost always feel more groggy. And I've seen this with so many people as well. If you're like, look, trust me, I want you to sleep less on those days and try to keep it consistent with the sleep and wake time. They wake up and they almost feel better all the time. And as a result, they're more productive, they have more time and they're more organized. So it's a win-win in many aspects then. Yeah, it is a funny one. I do, I always feel like it's nearly a regretful thing when you actually sleep into that point of like, I yeah. mean, like most days for work, I could get up anytime between seven and nine o'clock, depending on the day. 
but like I'm always up before nine. So when it comes to the weekend and say like this morning I'm up early, but it's it's always the case that I'll have the Audi weekend where I could sleep till eleven or twelve and it's instantly it's like this it's like I'm a different person when I wake up. I wanna eat different yeah. foods, I wanna yeah. I'm just more I'm nearly more tired. I don't wanna go for a walk, you know. There's yeah. all these varying factors. But one thing I'd kind of be curious about, and maybe you might know about this in terms of, you know, when you do have a lack of sleep, like mm. when I have a lack of sleep, I kind of, I wake up and I find I'm nearly craving bad foods. Is there a correlation between, you know, your tiredness, your energy levels, and I suppose wanting, like, even though I know I meant to eat, say, certain foods during the day that I know will benefit me, I end up suddenly mm. kind of turning to those maybe that, that wouldn't be as good for me. Like, is, is there yeah. some sort of correlation between that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, like there, that's what's known as effort discounting. Effort discounting is whereby when you're underslept or whereby you get like even one night sleep has been shown to do this. Like effort discounting is where like if you were in the office and you got a, you were getting great night sleep and there was a donut or there was your pre-packed lunch, you usually go for pre-packed lunch because the, the willpower aspect of that was, you know, you had that. It, it was there, you know, like you don't you don't need to second guess that. But effort discounting is whereby appetite pathways certain pathways related to appetite and maybe like pathways neurologically or psychologically related to willpower might make you reach for that donut easier it's what known as like basically the the areas whereby would you wouldn't have to put in as much effort like usually in like good sleep conditions take a lot more effort to not do per se you know so you might not want to go training as much or and then indirectly like there is massive knock-on physiological um like you know, biological aspects of being underslept even one night that like your insulin, um, your blood glucose regulation might be a bit off. So your appetite might be up as a result of that, you know, ghrelin, leptin, all these hunger-based hormones that can make you crave quote-unquote foods more that when you see that don't then paired with the effort discounting, you will most likely reach for that, you know, and that's not the fear monger people on low sleep, but it's just to highlight the importance of even just how one night can do that. Yeah. And one of the other factors I suppose you mentioned was caffeine and like, for me personally, like my, my morning coffee is, is like ritualistic, you know, I just, I need to sit down with it, enjoy it. And I suppose have that time to myself, <laughs> exactly. Have that time to reflect to myself before I start my day, whether it's work or yeah. just heading out for a, a normal Saturday doing the Christmas shopping. But I mean, like how much caffeine is too much caffeine? I suppose like how much does that suddenly impact on, you said, you, you mentioned it around stress levels. So say mm. if I'm someone who has five or six cups of coffee in a day, like what's that doing to me? Yeah. Okay. So like caffeine, you see, ca- people think caffeine is a, um, it gives them energy. So like, as I sit here, like with a kind of monster, like it, like it says Jesus energy. way too early for a monster. <laughs> I beg to differ on that. Oh, <laughs> it's I never too early for a monster, but yeah. Um, see, see, caffeine doesn't give you energy. It blunts tiredness. So they're, they're like, okay. as we go through the day, um, we get to build up, we get to build up of this kind of like byproduct of um, using up energy as ATP, let's say. I'm not going to go into the too, too much science here this now, but when we use up ATP as energy, we get a byproduct known as adenosine, okay? So adenosine is what builds up our sleep drive. So when you get very, very tired, if you, want to, if you were to go on like a six, seven hour hike today and you get like really baked, like when you're on the car on the way home and you're wrecked, that's a huge buildup of adenosine. That's the need for sleep to help clear that adenosine. What caffeine does is it binds to the receptor that adenosine binds to, and it actually blocks adenosine coming into it. So basically what caffeine does is it prevents tiredness. So as you, like, it, that's what happens then when people get caffeine crashes. You know, like when they get caffeine, they get like a really good buzz and they have like a lot of it, and then it wears off and they get a crash. That's all that adenosine being rushed and being upregulated by those receptors then. So it blunts that feeling. So basically it blocks tiredness. Now, the thing is with caffeine is that like what most people don't take into account is like, 
any caffeine is anywhere from a half life of like six to 10 hours. Now this is very subjective on people's own like metabolism of caffeine because the caffeine metabolism can differ from inter-individuality. You know, women on their menstrual cycle, uh, like they metabolize caffeine differently. There's a certain um, demographic of people who have like uh, gene morphism and they, like, they metabolize caffeine differently. But if you're having, so if you're someone who has like four or five coffees a day, right? Take an average coffee of like 100 to 150 milligrams of caffeine. If the half-life of that first coffee is still in your bloodstream at like 10, 11 o'clock at night, to give, give it six to 10 hours, that means most of the other coffees are still in your bloodstream or could be. You easily have 150, 200 milligrams by the time you're going to sleep. That's enough to keep you very alert or enough to take pre-workout. So it's not only the aspect of total caffeine intake, it's the timing of caffeine and the cumulative effect of caffeine as well. So like that, and it's also the caffeine source, like whether it be the energy drink or coffee. Um, and caffeine has one of the biggest things of caffeine as well, of ways to mention it with stress, is it has obviously anxiogenic effects. So it elicits anxiety, like it can elicit anxiety, or it can heighten your sensitivity or perception to stress. You know, it can make you quite jittery and stuff like that. So if someone you and like when assessing a stress load, like when you're assessing someone's stress load, as I was saying there earlier, you take it as all different multifactorial um, aspects of stress. So, um, you know, stressful environment and work, their caffeine intake, where the nutrition is like, how much sleep they're getting. And they all come in together. You don't just assess them individually, but multifactorial together. So someone who's very highly caffeinated and undernourished, underslept, they're creating a negative vicious cycle of just kind of running on, running on false energy per se. Now again, caffeine has its benefits too. Like if you time it well, use it properly. And, and caffeine is like, coffee has, very good properties too but it's when it's abused i suppose again when it's substance when it's like massively abused in terms of like total quantity or relying on it or over consuming it late into the evening and not knowing when when to put it that's what it can the trade-off of having diminishing returns can be in someone's lifestyle then yeah and i suppose like it's obviously caffeine is in so many different drinks it's not just standard coffee or an energy drink but say then like a a before bed cup of tea like is is that going to pack a punch to affect your sleep then if i'm sitting down for a cup of tea around 11 o'clock or is it literally just about you know maybe cutting the strong caffeinated sources like monster or coffee cutting them off at one or two o'clock and then just kind of leaving your day kind of go from there yeah like i mean general advice like voice advice like anyone on caffeine would be like okay try make a cut off of like you know or afternoon lunchtime type thing for for stronger caffeine like you know you're double shot and espressos or your energy drinks and stuff like that. Yeah. And then later into the evening, like lighter sources of caffeine, they they don't they should be absolutely fine. They wouldn't have massive effect. But again, I have seen it in people that like can have a monster of coffee before they go. I actually have had this recently with a client that had a coffee before they went to bed and sleep like an absolute like log, like not a bother. But then other people, they would be literally climbing the walls. And so again it is very you get to you get to see people the subjective metabolism of caffeine as well and how quick they clear that in their bloodstream. So even a cup of tea for some person actually might keep them alert. And this is just kind of whereby you'd have to know yourself. Okay. I'm a bit awake. I'll try not having that cup of tea and see if that helps. Yeah. I mean, for myself, I remember like I read this, it was now it was probably the stupidest thing in the world. It, it was back when I, I'd read stuff like fitness magazines, but I remember I read this thing that it was like a power nap where if you drank a cup of coffee before you yeah. took an hour's nap, you'd wake yeah. up buzzed. And I, I don't know whether it was just the fact that it was like, uh, just me absolutely believing it outright but I, I genuinely used to do this all the time so like if I was having a really bad day in work we, we I used to work for a company that had a bit of a like a relaxation room where you could just go for a nap and so if I was having a really bad day I'd go in I'd have my coffee and then I'd literally just nap for 45 minutes wake up after lunch and I'd be full of beans for the afternoon and everyone yeah, would be like what yeah. what were you doing I was like I just went for a nap I mean it, it was a bit yeah. strange but it used to work 
that's because yeah that's because uh, there's actually like there's logic uh mechanistic reasoning to that it, like, i used to actually do that myself before training if i was tired i'd have like an energy drink to go for like a 30 45 minute nap wake up and you'd be fresh as a daisy um, and that's because caffeine um, it doesn't just peak in your bloodstream straight away it usually takes them about 60 to 90 minutes and this is another thing like where you see people like drinking a can of monster in the gym right or you see people like drinking a can of monster like just going into the gym that caffeine is not peaking in their bloodstream like just beginning to peak to get the aerogenic benefit or like the performance enhancing benefit that's not getting the the proper benefit until they're probably done training so keep that in mind now with like maybe those who train later into the evening that's just beginning to peak when they're probably winding down and trying to have their post-workout meal or chill out for the evening and they just drank that monster in the gym, you know? So that's because the thing of the caffeine nap is like caffeine takes a while to build up your bloodstream. So like yeah. the logic was that if you time your nap just when you wake, where the caffeine peaks roughly, you should wake up a bit fresher. Okay. Now, I suppose one thing with yourself, you're sitting there at half past nine or maybe quarter to ten in the morning, you're drinking a can of Monster and you were telling me before we started recording that you get up most days around five or six. So like, it yeah. seems like you have a very structured routine and that's definitely something I see as an important factor, whether you're trying to lose weight or just aim towards any sort of goal. So, I mean, talk yeah. me through, like, what's your daily routine like? And I mean, what are the stuff, your non-negotiables to have a successful yeah, yeah, week, that's, that's, Yeah, that's a good, that's a good way of putting it. Um, yeah, I like that term non-negotiable, something I use a lot for clients as well. It's just having your core own individual non-negotiables in mind relative to your own situation. So again, my non-negotiables might not be relative to you because your lifestyle is obviously different someone with yeah. four kids non-negotiable isn't going to be the same as someone who has all the spare time and just works a job and can train all the time you know but my own one's like i mean my daily routine is like it's not that um glamorous i get up at five five thirty work um till about i usually work till about um 12 half 12 from check-ins so a lot again from the international clients their check-ins might be there then or from clients usually check in the night before early do their check-ins um and then i usually break from about 12 to about two i train at that time usually and then i'll come back and i'll work anywhere from like two three until sometimes it could be seven sometimes it could be eight nine ten it's very different but it will be usually morning block of work um obviously eating in between that and then i'll train in the middle of the day do uh evening block of work and then just wind down a bit for the evening and I mean, from your perspective, if you like, we're coming into Christmas season, things don't tend to follow the regular pattern. Like, how are you approaching that in terms of, is it literally Christmas Eve, you might switch off and go to maybe a different schedule? Or are you just going to keep that sort of thing going the whole way throughout? Yeah, um, I, this is like, yeah. So when someone listening to this might be like, oh, Jesus, like, I don't feel like I have to do that. But I genuinely actually really enjoy it. Like, I've been getting yeah. up on a Sunday at 5, 5.30 for three four years because i really enjoy it like i mean I, like i worked as a courier when i was younger so i had to get up at that time so like I, it's just kind of conditioned in a way but like you begin to learn how much how beneficial it is you know because like i get so much work done by like nine ten o'clock in the morning that like you know i could have a post written i could have five six check-ins done i could have a new startup done by like nine ten o'clock in the morning because i've had four or five hours work done but like around christmas uh, i usually take i'll take christmas eve i'll take christmas day um I'll take Stephen's day and then I'll, I'll, I'll go back at it after that. Yeah. And I mean, look, it's something we've actually talked about on the podcast probably the past few weeks. And it is something I know a lot of our listeners are kind of worried about, but I mean, what do you think of the, the predisposed mentality people have of like, I'm going to gain weight at Christmas or I'm going to do the dog at Christmas. Like, do you think that's beneficial in terms of just being able to take the foot off the gas? Or do you think maybe a bit of structure sometimes can be more beneficial while still having your fun? 
Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good point. Like, it's very, it's a very prevalent issue this time of year. Like, you know, what I mean, you're seeing posts all around the place. Like, does it, does it, the fitness industry, especially on Instagram stuff, can be, can be a head wreck. Like, I mean, one minute you're seeing a post and it's like how to, how to survive Christmas and like Christmas isn't something you should survive at all. Like, I mean, Christmas is a time that you enjoy. Like, I mean, why do you need to survive it? That automatically has a moral association of guilt almost or associated with them yeah. that you, you feel panicked or something. And then you're seeing maybe other posts about, no, don't wait until January. Today, today is the right time. And you're like, Jesus, I don't know. Like, is it really? Like, it's not really a time of year that's permissive of being in a massive fat loss phase. Like, I mean, for 90... Actually, I'm going to pretty say all of my clients that are in a fat loss phase, I've taken them out of a harsh deficit right now. Like, it's just... It's yeah. not a permissive time to be dieting aggressively. You've, you've overall... Like, bear in mind now the context of this year specifically of how stressful it was with COVID and all that. Um, you've a very stressful environment maybe people are struggling financially you have three only post on this on instagram today you've a time of the year where by usually family are coming home you're meeting up you're having christmas parties that we'd have six seven maybe six seven weeks to do that and we've only been three weeks to do that so you're trying to restrict yourself on calories meet up with friends cram in some social occasions keep on top of everything and you're just adding a sh- like while there's food temptation everywhere it's just it's an, it's a, it can be a very stressful time for period and it can it did most importantly of all it can take away enjoyment from these occasions and that's the core thing that should be prioritized um i suppose i'm in like i'm in the middle ground like that i don't believe there should be maybe either side of the fence too much extremities i think that like i again i said this in a post today like where do you think you will be come january if you were to let the four weeks let all rain loose like you shouldn't let it become um a spectrum of extremities whereby you just eat all around you for the sake of it um, but also then you shouldn't feel the need to deprive yourself or restrict yourself from these occasions. And as part of a truly sustainable, pragmatic, and if you're to literally coin the term healthy approach, you should be able to factor these in whilst being able to control your nutrition. It's that gray area where people struggle. You know, It's that gray area of the, in the middle of not having rigid control, but not losing all control then as well. That's where people kind of struggle in the middle there. But the true, like just controlling the averages of stuff, which again, people struggle with. They feel like that it has to be all or nothing you can still be able to fit these things in without massive regression yeah i mean like the way i'm approaching it it's not the case that i'm i'm aiming to lose a massive weight where like weight loss is and i suppose fat loss more than anything is my goal at the moment but like i'm not necessarily aiming to do that massively over the next month but i'm also not aiming to undo it so i mean yeah. like the way i've talked to a lot of people about this and i mean i feel like the best approach is just treating it like you're, you're pretty much on your regular life up until maybe Christmas week. You can enjoy yeah. your Christmas week. You can have your nights out here and there. I mean, yeah. like after weeks and weeks of being at home, which obviously, to be honest, I'm quite proud of this podcast for the fact that we went so long without talking about COVID, which is great. Yeah. I think it's the first conversation <laughs> in a long time where it well, just I didn't just come up. I absolutely ruined that. <laughs> and I was just like, this is, no, no, I, I, it, it's still a necessary reality, but I was just like, oh, yeah. that's, that's yeah. actually fantastic. No, that it it wasn't good, the absolutely. be all and end all. But yeah. I suppose, look, weeks of being at home and then you know now suddenly my favorite restaurants are open i'm able to go out on a saturday night and actually just enjoy yeah. myself now it doesn't exactly. have to go to the extremes but i mean i'm going to take this month to enjoy myself while also keeping on progressing but i mean yeah. my worry with people is that they kind of see it as it's 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 kind of like success or failure and there's no in between exactly. and i feel like those yeah. extreme dogmatic approaches are the problem like if i reach into the tin of roses i'm a failure versus if I reach for a plain chicken breast I'm a success and I feel like you just have to be a normal person and you have to approach it like if I fancy a chicken breast that's cool that's a nice meal but if I want a few roses it's not going to undo six months of work exactly yeah like I I, I would like 
I would I only said this to a client the other day. I would rather a client come to me in a check and this might 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 not be what people expect from a coach now or something like that, but I would rather a client come to me in a check in and say, Look, I went out, I went down the piss or whatever, I enjoyed some good food with my friends, my weight is up a pound today, but I enjoyed it and I'd be like brilliant happy days because you just spent whatever you know however amount of time in lockdown if you live on your own you've been you know social distancing all that stuff this time of year that's fine you know we'll take that trade off but that doesn't have to be taken to the extremity of oh look I, if a client checked in it like it doesn't have to be the other two sides okay so if they checked in and they were like um oh no i actually had a party last night but i, I didn't go because i didn't want to uh, be quote unquote bad and i'd be like if i if i got that i'd be like wait hold on here a second we don't want to go down that route at all at all and on the opposite side of the spectrum, if they checked in there, like, look, I went out last night, tucked into Domino's afterwards, woke up this morning, went for a big greasy fry, you know, I'd be like, well, look, come on, you're ripping the piss a bit here. Like, so, there ha- it's, again, it's that middle ground of, like, people think that positive outcomes, be it physiological or whatever, fat loss, muscle gain, to, to get where they want to be has to be controlling things perfectly all the time it has to be every single factor nailed to the t day in there it has to be hitting their steps it has to be their calories controlled it has to be their session ticked off and if one it, it kind of leads what i call it like is that mindset of if it's not perfect it's not worth it so yeah. they, they if something if they can't control everything perfectly they almost lose all control and um, because they feel like that they can't they can't control things on a, just an average accumulation of averages towards the towards the goal but that still gets progress and people it's hard to drill that into people because they're they may be caught on a spectrum again of extremities that thinking no i have to have everything perfect so if if i go on a night out i'm just gonna like i've written the day off i may as well keep going and start again fresh when i have everything perfect you know so it's yeah. about knowing that like still controlling things in accumulation on average as best as you can even with some slight ambiguity in calories and not knowing your calories or overeating one or two days that can still equal progress Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it is just one of the, the biggest worries people have is that if, if they let the foot off the pedal for a minute, suddenly, I always see it as the floodgates mentality of like, if you open up the floodgates, yeah. it's all going to shit. And it's just, it's yeah. one of those unfortunate like mentalities I still have that I've kind of slowly but surely been trying to break out of that, you know, mm-hmm. if I have the high carb meal or have a high calorie meal at night, although my weight may be up the next day, it's not necessarily meaning that I'm gaining fat. It just means, you know, my body's storing more water or the levels might be slightly different. But I mean, one thing, it is one of those things I wanted to ask you about. Like, why does that actually happen where if you're eating, say, for me, I always find it a twig carbs, where if I eat a high carb meal late in the day, the next day, although I wouldn't have been in a calorie surplus as far as my my very bad maths can tell anyway and my fitness pal tells me why is it <laughs> yeah. that i mean my body could suddenly retain an extra you know 0.5 of a kilo or anything along those lines you know it's quite a, a varying thing but like what comes into play there oh so much i mean like there i have as part of um my clients when they start up they get like i have uh, an education database and one of the videos is I think it's a 40 minute video and I go through everything to do with the scales to yeah. understand it, like, and how to understand its influencing variables, like everything that you can almost think of influences the number beneath your feet. And this is where like that can lead to negative relationships. And I'm not like, I'm not anti scales. And I think that can be almost um, a too much of a trend as well. People jump on like ditch the scales and all this, like it has its application as a metric, but it's as a coach's job to teach that application, you know? So like, when you go out on a night out, like, and when you wake up the following morning, people jump on the scales, they see the weight go up, and always we automatically correlate that with fat gain. If it goes up, we gain fat. If we went down, we lost fat. Happy days. And it has this knock-on effect um, and emotional attachment to it. So, 
like you know when you step on the scales like i do this myself like when i'm in a fat loss phase when i step on the scales and i see it down you get that small but like oh yes happy days you know because you correlate that with progress and that's yeah. okay but when it goes too much the opposite way then it's important to rationalize it so you have to think rationally rather than emotionally so like there's so many different variables like if you go on a night out higher carb intake like carbohydrates the reason why they would usually for like you said there cause weight to go up is because for every one to two grams of carbs you intake you store about two to three grams of intramuscular water and glycogen. So you're storing a bit more water because carbs cause water to be pulled into a muscle cell um, intramuscularly. So as well as that, then like you could have maybe the meal you ate last night was high sodium. So you're retaining a bit more water because your sodium intake is up and your electrolyte balance is off. Maybe the fact that you ate later than usual means that you have increased um, gut composition, that there's, you haven't passed the morning after yet and therefore you're, 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 you're literally your digestive tract weighs more. So all these influencing variables come into play um, and people just maybe aren't, don't know that or fail to take into consideration and just think that when we step on the scales, it's body fat. And when it goes up, it's, when it goes up, it's bad. When it goes down, it's negative. Yeah, I, oh, I feel like, sorry. I, I know what you're saying. Like in terms of the scale, I feel like it's one of those things that although it's a great tool, I really try not to live my life by it anymore because like, I feel like no one really has a, or at least the majority of people don't have a healthy approach to looking at it i mean yeah. like i always take the example of if i step on the scale and i'm up 0.3 of a kilo mm. i used to think it's all done i've ruined it i've gained weight i've clearly done something exactly. wrong yeah. my approach yeah. isn't working but if i lost 0.3 the exact same yeah. measurement i would be yeah. thinking also i'm a failure that's no progress it's useless and it's exactly. almost like there's so much emotion attached to a number on on just a piece of glass that's on the floor like mm. it's just it's, it's beyond pointless to take just that. And I mean, one of the factors which I found have benefited me the past few months is just being able to see the other aspects in life, clothes fitting a little bit better, looking a exactly. bit better in the picture, yeah. being able to run across at a traffic light, like just these things yeah. that maybe when I was at my heaviest weight would have been a struggle. And then suddenly, yeah. you know, I'm able to do a good sprint without hurting my foot. I'm able to do, yeah. you know, yeah. I suppose, do a two mile walk without actually feeling like I'm about to die. These small mm. little benefits they're the kind of things people need to maybe hold on to a little bit more rather than just a number on a scale, but it's very hard to get them to do that. Yeah. So like, again, you have to, as I, as I use with my own coaching process is you have to use a combination of subject or of subjective and kind of objective based markers of assessment, you know? So like I get my clients to weigh in, um, if they, they, they have to weigh in either like a minimum three, four times a week or not at all. And the reason for that is because, it's so prone to fluctuation any given day. If you were to weigh in once per week for me as a coach, and if, as a female, you were in the late luteal phase of your menstruation or your, your period was due, or as a male, you just had a heavy session last night and your weight went up, we're getting a massive false positive from one weigh-in. So that's why we get a weekly average by getting more frequent weigh-ins, we get a better use of that tool. But then also, like you're using things like pictures, you're using things like, as you said, um, you know, how is your capacity in training? How are you recovering between sets? How are your clothes fitting? How's your energy? How's your sleep? All those, like you have to get an overall assessment pro picture. And like, again, that's where maybe from past negative experiences or stuff like that, people can just, just be taught to use a number beneath their feet that can be quite ambiguous in some circumstances, if not paired with other metrics. Yeah. And look, I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm going to try sneak some sneaky like advice off you here now without necessarily becoming a client loop, but <laughs> sure. I'm going through, I'm going through a fat loss phase obviously at the moment. And I'm, I'm only halfway to say the goal I want to hit by the end of this, or I suppose maybe mid next year. 
But okay. in terms of when, when you're at that point where you've reached, you know, maybe a weight you're happy with or like a, a point in fitness which you're happy with, scaling the calories back up then, almost reverse dieting. Like what's the yeah. science behind that? How does that work? Because I mean, like me, when I was at my heaviest, I could have been eating anything from 3,000 to 4,000 calories a day and an immense amount of food. And then mm. obviously now I would have chopped it down significantly. And I don't like to discuss calories with listeners because everyone's different. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, if I'm yeah. trying to scale that number back up, like what's the science mm behind doing that and how does one approach that in a i suppose a healthy sense without suddenly piling on the weight yeah so if you're in a fat loss phase like again this reverse dieting like something i've done something on the education side over like it's reverse dieting you have like if you're in a fat loss phase there has to be an exit strategy where like when you get to like there doesn't have to be a destination per se but you yeah. can't keep dieting like this is another issue i commonly see people thinking you can just go down and down and down in calories you're going to reach a point of diminishing returns and you're going to need to come up with an exit strategy to maybe reset a bit if you want to go more and you've more to go. Um, or like, because what happens is as you begin losing fat, okay, as you begin losing fat mass, um, as you begin to lose actual body weight, body mass, not just fat, but body mass, you, you, there, what happens is what's known as an adaptive thermogenesis. It's the science where I don't want to get into actual, like get overwhelming with the science, but what happens is your body begins to adapt to losing fat um, and becomes more efficient at conserving energy. So what happens is you you actually there's cool, it's really cool in a way like when you see it in practice and like the research done it is that like people begin to um, blink less. You know your your subconscious fidgeting goes down because you have less energy intake. So your body is trying to conserve energy. Now this is probably in the latter stages of dieting whereby you're getting lower and lower. You know not in extremes but lower and lower. Like if you have someone starting off on two and a half thousand calories and you drop to twenty two hundred, you're not going to see massive amounts in that regard. You know, yeah. and it's only when people lose a larger amount of fat mass and weight. Um, your, you find your hunger goes up. You begin to look at food differently. Your cravings go up. Your appetite goes up. Um, uh, your energy might go down. This is all part of what's known as adaptive thermogenesis. So what, you're going to reach a point of diminishing returns that if you were to keep on going down and down, you can't just risk going drastic. So you need to do maybe a little reset, like a diet break, to help reverse some of these uh, mechanisms, or do a small little reverse diet. So like you said, when you come to the end of your fat loss phase, reverse dieting is one of those things that it's, like, it's kind of debated in the industry, like of, do you begin to slowly drip the calories back in or do you just bring them back up to maintenance straight away? And it's very context dependent. Um, like, again, you could do a whole podcast on this, like, but usually what I do for people who aren't in the extremities of dieting, like really low body fat levels of a show or a shoot is I begin to slightly drip feed them up because even at that, if you begin to diet down, right? Technically, as you begin to drip feed them back up, you're, you're still in a deficit. So you're still actually dieting. It's just, you're not dieting to the same degree. Um, whereas like it, it's a much more conservative way of if you were like someone if you were to like ramp them back up to maintenance calories but then you may you might run the risk of accumulating fat mass a bit quicker so if they're not in any major rush and if there's not any major negative physiological symptoms present like low energy you know low libido low mood high hunger well then you have that room to maybe just drip feed them back in so this might look like putting the first increase back in at like 150 200 calories assessing weight assessing pictures for a week or two holding it there taking it very conservatively, put back in another 100, put back in another 150. Usually this would be from carbs and fats because protein would be at a higher threshold. But you'd slowly yeah. begin increasing them up until you maybe see your maintenance calories and your weight begin to maintain or slight increase. And then you know, well, okay, well, I found my maintenance calories right now. But you have to have some exit strategy. You can't just keep dieting down and down and down, you know? Yeah. And I mean, like one of, one of the myths that's put out there is that, you know, as, as you drop your calories down, you almost put a ceiling on yourself that you're never going to be able to eat more than that. But I, so what you're saying there is essentially 
it might be gradual, but you can keep pushing that ceiling up a little bit and a little bit to the point where yeah. you can eat a healthy amount of food without necessarily gaining loads of weight. That's the point of it, because like the, the fear is, and I always get this with clients, the fear is that, right, I've like, and I, I understand the thought process too, because I, I try to put myself in client's shoes and I try to put myself in someone who maybe doesn't know the theory of issues that like, okay, wait, I've dieted down and I'm on whatever, 2,000 calories and I've lost this amount of fat. And he wants me to increase it back up. Surely it's just going to go the opposite way. And I want to gain fat back on. Like, surely that's like, it's simple maths. But it's not that easy either. It's not just that direct in a one-dimensional sense. Like, because you begin to get, basically you get, like, you reverse the, these adaptive mechanisms. So your metabolism might go up a small bit. And the, the amount of calories you burn eating food and digesting food goes up. What's known as the thermic effect of feeding. Your subconscious movement might go up. You burn more calories during exercise. Your breathing rate goes up. And then you might see what you usually see if you do it right with people um, and not brush it too much is you begin to see them hold weight and condition, which is obviously the goal, eating more as an exit strategy, or even sometimes get leaner and continue losing weight as you begin to bring calories back up as well. Um, and it, it's through doing that very conservatively, not rushing it. But it, I can understand that thought process as well of thinking like, oh, wait, I might just want to get all the fat back on. But it, it, that's not always the case either. Yeah, I just think it, it, it's good information to people, for people to know because I feel like it, people are misled by what's actually possible. And I suppose there's so much differing yeah. information, on, especially with like stuff like Instagram, Facebook. They're great tools and they're, you know, they're great ways to waste your time as well. But like <laughs> the amount of you know, like ver- verified information that's only, uh, actually on yeah. there, like you can yeah. really be led astray. Like even like sometimes I'll click into that search feed and suddenly like, I'll get all this stuff about different dogmatic approaches to eating. Like you should be yeah. carnivore, you should be vegan, you I should know. be all yeah. these varying things. And like, if you're someone who's vulnerable and someone who's maybe at a, at a low point, it's very easy to start investing yourself into those things as opposed to just doing the research and saying, what's the stuff that actually works? What's the science here? Exactly. How it yeah. actually works. So hopefully we can educate a few people on that at the very least. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, look, um, dude, thank you so much for coming on for the chat. I really appreciate it. Um, for anyone who is looking to find you online or maybe looking to, to take the, I suppose, the coaching services of Integrative Health, where can they find you? Um, so my, I'm on Instagram at um, I am Lam. So I underscore at um, Lam. <laughs> um, and then um, the, they can contact me there for coaching, stuff like that. And I, try, I do try to put out like, Educate. I don't get the chance to put out much education content. I do try to put out as much as I can, but I also have an education member site whereby I do um, education videos on there. So it's a monthly subscription. Uh, and then the coaching is www.ihcoaching.ie. And if they want to inquire about coaching services, stuff like that. Brilliant, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. Guys, make sure to go follow Luke. And if you're in need of some help, hit him up. Thanks so much.